With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings. Yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. All right, take a look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Now, I was reading over my sermon manuscript this morning. And I realized just how much of a dad I have become because all the main sermon illustrations this morning are coming from Disney's Moana. And if you haven't seen it, you will go see it as soon as we're done with worship today. In fact, it might be live streaming on Netflix right now, so just stick your earbuds in for the next, I don't know, like 20, 25 minutes or so, and you can watch it. So in 2016, Disney introduced us to Moana. It's an adventurous teenage girl on her family's Pacific island. And it doesn't take us long to learn the tension in the story because Moana wants to go beyond the confines of her island, but she's told that the island is all that she needs. The island has everything they need for happiness and for life, so the island is right where she needs to be. The village accepts this, her parents accept this, and so on, and so no one leaves. But where is Moana in all this? She longs for the open ocean. She longs for an adventure. She can't see herself in the role that's been assigned to her. She cannot see herself assigned to the confines of what she's told is normal. She wants to stay faithful to her people, to her family. She wants something more. Have you ever been in this type of place in your life where you are told that this is what's normal? This is what we do, this is who we are, this is how we live our lives. And I feel like this has been the first half of this conversation we've been in, this series that we've been in, where we've been taking a look at what culture says is normal. Culture says it's normal to constantly be in the process of gaining more stuff. It's normal for you to work and work and work and work and work a ceaseless cycle in your life. It's normal for you to be busy to the point that you cannot put things straight in order because you constantly have something going in your life. It's normal to be a person of commercialism. It's normal to be a person of individualism. It's normal to be busy and live constantly in abundance. But we've also seen over the last couple of weeks as we've been engaging and navigating these different parts of this conversation, we've been destructing this culture, taking it apart in order for us to see that Jesus is offering us something different. And so over the next couple weeks as we cap off this series, what we have been deconstructing will now be reconstructing through the eyes and teachings and ministry of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus says, this is not the way we were designed to be, that we are designed for something more, a life of abundance through Christ. And that's the invitation of Jesus. It's an invitation not to see things in the way that we've always seen things, but to every day see things in a new way. Jesus used a word often in the Gospels that we've taken with a negative tone. He uses the term repent. But the term means change your way of thinking and change your way of living. So the question becomes, as we've been deconstructing this, we then say, well, what is normal living through Christ? What does that practically look like? For that, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Now, what's the context of Philippians? In facing this new world and this newfound journey with Jesus, these followers of Jesus in Philippi are faced with the challenge of becoming something new. Imagine a drastic change in your cultural patterns and your philosophy and your everyday living to this great journey journey of redemption and transformation, Paul writes this letter. And coming out of of chapter 2, where Paul is calling his readers to imitate Christ, in fact, he says, Christ is, is God, yet Christ chose to be a servant. And through service, Jesus found and showed us a new way of life. And in Philippians 2, he says, put away all selfishness, all conceitedness, away all grumbling and complaining. He says, and shine like stars in the night sky. And to this, Paul writes there in Philippians 3 verse 1. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I think what Paul is trying to do here is he's defending himself. Now, we don't know who it is exactly Paul is defending himself against. Some biblical scholars say it's the Judaizers like we see in Galatians where Paul is combating this teaching that says you have to be circumcised uh, by, the, by the law of Moses, follow the law of Moses before you can practically follow Christ. We don't know if that's what he's pushing across here. But what Paul is combating is the notion that the law of Moses trumps the way of Jesus. And Paul wouldn't necessarily put it in that terms, but what he's trying to help this church see is the philosophical and theological shift that has to take place in their life, away from this way of living and into this new way of living. And he's saying to them, he's saying, if you put stock in the old way of living, then I've got you covered. I was born of a, of a Hebrew family among Hebrew families. My parents followed the law perfectly, having me circumcised on the eighth day. Paul really loves talking about circumcision. There's some deep-seated issues there that we don't have time to unpack this morning. He says, in regards to my religious pet- pedigree, I've got it. I attended the best school. I had the best grades. I was part of it, a sacred elite of my time. As for zealous for my religiosity, you need to keep in mind I persecuted the people that I now call my family. Paul was so zealous about his faith before he came to Christ that he was literally systematically hunting down Christians, having them tried, sometimes put in prison, and sometimes killed. 
see, Paul is propping up his, his pedigree, his prestige, his title, his power, his wealth. He's saying, if you put confidence in all these things, I had it covered. What should we compare Paul's resume to? Well, he's like uh, Batman. You know, uh, the Dark Knight, the Cape Crusader, uh, Batsy, the world's greatest detective. Okay, you know who I'm talking about, right? Um, do you know what makes Batman great? I can tell you it's not Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck does not make Batman great. That is 100% the most sound theological fact you will hear out of my mouth this morning. Ben Affleck is the worst Batman that ever was a Batman. Okay. You know what makes Batman great? He, he doesn't have superpowers. He is super intellect. He, he is a tacticianer. He is he's stealth-like in his ability where he's able to surprise his villains. He's built a supercomputer and a super network. He has planes and motorcycles and boats and a Batmobile. Did I mention his gadgets? We talk about Ariel. Batman could replace and sing Ariel songs. I've got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. Batman has got who's it's and what's it's galore. He's got all of these different things, and it's all in that massive, awesome Batman belt that he wears around his waist. That's what I feel like Paul is trying to say here in this text. Paul is trying to say here, if you want to line up trophies, if you want to line up who has lived the best possible life, let me show you what I once lived. And then he says this in verse 7. But whatever was to my gain, I now consider it a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in a suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. After hyping himself up, after talking about all of his experience, all of his accomplishments, all of his egocentric life, Paul then says, all this, it's all a loss compared to Christ. In fact, um, Paul went as far as dropping an ancient cuss word in our text. He uses the Greek word here, uh, skubala. Um, what's the best way to compare this? Um, you know the word we might use like crap, but there's like a severe S word we might use in response to that? That's what Paul just used the equivalent of in the ancient terms. Paul said, all of this stuff... Of this wealth, all this economic prestige, all of my religious prestige, all of my philosophical prestige, it is all one big stinking pile of waste. Scubula. Compared to what? Compared to Christ. Think about that for just a second. Paul is making one of the most profound declarations of what he values most in his life. He's saying, here were two patterns of my life. Here was the pattern I lived before Christ. Here's the pattern of my life. I now live with Christ. I choose the pattern of Christ. Everything else, it's garbage. Jesus was an amazing storyteller. And we, of course, know this because he has all these amazing parables that we read. Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan is by far one of the most recognized stories across the world. But Jesus told a very short parable one time that is quite remarkable. 
He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth of an old garment. Um, otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making it torn worse. Um, I don't want you to judge me, but like I have a superpower of tearing jeans. As my wife says, like if you're good at anything, you're good at ripping jeans. Like I rip jeans like no other. And my mom can attest to this because sometimes I'm like, hey, mommy, I'm in my 30s, but will you sew this for me? And she does it lovingly. Um, now that I embarrass her, she's not going to do it anymore. <laughs> um, but have you learned anything about like garments? Like I used to try to like take a, a piece of jean and like sew it into it, but then it doesn't work. The fabrics don't mesh together. It just it just tears apart. So you have to try to find a fabric that's the same age to sew into it. And Jesus told another parable in the same sense. He says, "No one pours new wine into old wine skins; otherwise, the wine will burst the skins. Both the wine and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins." In Jesus' day, um, um, wineskins were made out of animal flesh, and they were sewn together. Sounds really delicious, right? Uh, do, you want, do you want the wine with the lamb skin, or do you want it with the cattle skin? Which one will you have today? And not to sound like I have a drinking problem, but we all know about new wine. New wine is in this constant state of fermentation, so it's expanding and growing. And so what Jesus is trying to say is if you stick something new into something old, it eventually it's going to expand and it will burst. And all of a sudden you've ruined your old wineskins. All of a sudden you've ruined your new wine. So you put new wine into new wineskins. This is the argument Paul is trying to make for us. When we choose to follow Christ, we have to be decisive. How often in our life do we try to take the old patterns, this old way of living, and cram it down into this new way of following Jesus? We want to attain more wealth. We want to gain more status. We want to work and work and work and work. We want to be busy and busy and overfall our lives with so much content. And yet we want to follow Christ. And Christ invites us into something completely opposite of all these things. How many times are we going to break old wine skins before we start to realize that consumerism and individualism and busyness and abundance just doesn't fit in following Jesus? And so Paul made a decision. He said, I took these things that I once held in high regard. I consider them nothing compared to Christ because instead I want to know Christ. I want to journey with Christ. And when we walk moment by moment with Christ, we begin to discover this new way of life. Remember at the beginning I was talking about Moana. This won't be the second or the last time I talk about her. Um, I really am a dad. Like I was reading over this and I was like, I'm such a dad. I'm writing Disney illustrations into sermons. Uh, here's a young woman who, who wants to go beyond the confines of her island. Um, yet she, she's told by her family this is where she's intended to be. Um, everyone stays here. Everyone remains here. This is our way of life. And of course, this wouldn't be a wonderful story if that's where it ended. She just accepts that as normal. Yet she's battling this calling to go beyond. She feels alone. She feels there's undiscovered paths. And of course, in a Disney movie, this then turns us to a song. 
the song she sings, I know everybody on this island seems so happy on this island. Everything is by design. I know everybody on this island has a role in this island, so maybe I can roll with mine. See the light as it shines on the sea. It's blinding, but no one knows how deep it goes. And it seems it's calling out to me, so come find me and let me know what's beyond that line. Will I cross that line? You see, what this character is battling is a voyage of faith. She wants to find a new way, but she doesn't know if she is a wayfinder. And this is our battle. This is our battle of faith. And just to let you know, I saw some of y'all singing that song when I was reading the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. Our souls yearn for a new way, a better way, a more life-giving way. Yet we don't know if we are wayfinders. We don't know what lies beyond because we've never journeyed there before. This new way of Jesus seems so abnormal. It seems so uncomfortable that we don't know what the next step will be. And Paul is getting at this in verses 1 through 11. He's saying, in my former life, I had this. I was the most educated. I was the most spiritual. I was the most experienced. But yet when I chose to follow Christ, I was so uncertain what was next. And Paul declares that he chose Christ. He chose to have faith in Christ, to let Christ be the one that guided his journey. In verse 9 he says, I gave up this religious legalism to find a new righteousness through faith in Christ. That is the bedrock of being a wayfinder. It's faith in Jesus. Faith to go beyond the cliche that we've always heard that in our churches growing up. Have faith in Jesus. It sounds so cliche, doesn't it? But go beyond what's cliche. Go beyond the mediocre. Go beyond and begin to process what this new way could look like. Dig deep into your heart and your mind and your soul and release that pride. Release that arrogance that says, I know the way. Instead saying, Christ knows the way. Wayfinders have faith in Christ. Growing up in the traditional church, faith was always presented in uh, this way, with this poster. Hang in there. Like, this motivation. That's how faith was always presented to me as a church growing up. And of course, um, if I'm going to show that motivational poster, we then have to show the rest of them, okay? Um, so there's this one, Dare to Soar. Your attitude almost always determines the altitude of your life. I love that one. Uh, uh, The third one here, never give up. I love that frog. (laughs) The fourth one here, team, together, together everyone achieves more. And of course, this is my favorite one. Hindsight, those were the droids we were looking for. That, of course, is the best motivational poster of all time. What if I told you that faith in Christ is beyond hang in there? In fact, when we really think about that, it's so egocentric of a faith that that faith has everything to do with us and nothing to do with Jesus. Just hang in there. It has everything to do with me, myself, and I, and nothing to do with the one who wants to guide us in this new wayfinding journey. 
Because wayfinding is through a journey with Jesus. Believing in Jesus is not some passive act done by saying the right words. It's an ongoing action. Faith is a present future act of journeying with Jesus each and every day. You remember what Paul said in verse 10? He says, I want to know Christ, yet to know the power of his resurrection, participating in his suffering, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection of the dead. For Paul, he's saying, faith is not some single solitary moment. It is a continuous moment, a daily journey with Christ. And he uses a very intimate term here. He uses the Greek word gnosko, which means to know, to become accustomed with. It's not the same thing of having some sort of intellectual knowledge, like I know about Jesus, I know the facts about Jesus. What Paul is talking about here is a very intimate knowledge, a knowledge shared within a deep relationship. Paul is saying, I want to know Christ. The only type of knowledge that comes through a journey daily with Christ. This is what John is saying in 1 John 4 when he says, We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who does not come from God does not listen to us. We know this by the spirit of truth and the spirit of evil. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we step out into faith, discovering a new way. We are, in fact, learning from Jesus, journeying with Jesus. And the text ends in verse 12 uh, with this. Not that I have already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Everyone do me a favor and take a really deep breath. Let it out. Whew, I got lightheaded there for a second. Take another deep breath. Take, let it out, yeah. Why did I have you do that? The Apostle Paul just let us off the hook. He says, the goal is not to be perfect. After giving this beautiful image of what he has strived for, giving up all this stuff, all this rubbish so that I might journey with Jesus, learning to be like Jesus, Paul reminds us that even the great apostle Paul has not obtained perfection. Because perfection isn't the goal. The goal is to become more like Jesus. This requires less of ourselves and more of God's power within us. And that's just not it. Too often we demand perfection out of ourselves. We demand perfection at our work. We demand perfection in our relationships. We demand perfection in the products we are purchasing. We demand perfection out of that waitress or waiter that's getting paid minimum wage. We demand perfection in so many aspects of our life. But when it comes to Christ, he is not standing there with a check mark saying, yep, you did it, no, you didn't do it. Yep, you did it, no, you didn't do it. That's not Christ. The great poet Edgar Allan Poe wrote this, I have no faith in human perfectibility. I think the human exertion will have no appreciable effect upon humanity. Man is now only more active, not more happy, nor more wise than he was 6,000 years ago. 
Now, I realize it's a bit ironic um, to read a quote from one of the great literary cynics of all time and someone who probably drank themselves to death because of their depression, but he has some great wisdom in there. Perfection is not the goal. Striving towards the great wayfinder is. That Christ is the one who takes us and, and guides us in this journey of life. Do you remember um, Rocky IV? <laughs> Sorry. You know, the one where Rocky fights Ivan Drogo, the great Russian fighter. Some of y'all are like, I haven't seen it. You have. You've seen it. You've watched it on AMC when it's on TV. And the last couple of years, I've gone to Philadelphia, and you bet every time I make my way to the art museum because I'm going to run up the steps. I did it in skinny jeans once. Worst decision ever made. So here's the story. Uh, this great uh, Russian fighter comes and literally kills Rocky's best friend and former rival, Apollo Creed. And then he issues a challenge to Rocky to come and fight him. And he's reeling from this horrific match, uh, and he realizes that he cannot fight Drogo in the same way he fought everyone else before him. Um, so instead, he has to train differently. He has to get faster and stronger and tougher. This means you cue the cheesy 1980s music, begin a really awkward training montage that really was just a way to show us that Sylvester Stallone was on steroids in every single one of the Rocky movies. And in your cynicism, I want you to remember that uh, Rocky won, actually won Best Picture of the Year. The year was up for it. You see, when it comes to wayfinding, when it comes to journeying with Jesus, we're discovering something new. We can't do it in the same way we've done before, which means that we have to make a decision to learn the new way through Christ. And that requires each day that we come to know Christ deeper. But that means what? Does that mean we pray and read our Bible and go to church? That's what I was told the answer was when I was a kid. But think about it for just a second. Does prayer matter? It does. You have a unique opportunity every single day to speak to the creator of the world. To share your deepest concerns, your deepest fears, your deepest shortcomings, your hopes, your dreams, your plea for forgiveness. And at the same time, you have a unique gift of a creator who wants to speak back into you. To settle your heart and your mind and your soul to speak wisdom into your life. If we want to learn from the way of Jesus, then we actually have to study the way of Jesus. And we have this unique opportunity through the Gospels to see the glimpse into the life and ministry and teaching and kingdom way of Jesus. In the Gospels, we can read these unique stories that beckon us into something new. Jesus invites us down this new path, this new journey, giving us a glimpse into what this would look like through the scriptures. And all these things, they matter. Taking time out each day to matter. And you know that you can find unique ways to do this. Have you ever considered that practicing the simple act of gratitude each day brings you closer to the Creator? Even in the smallest things of giving thanks for what you have received and what others have given to you, it is a spiritual discipline. If you have a daily commute, instead of... Uh, listening to the radio all the time? What if you stuck in an audiobook, something that will enhance your journey with Christ? Have you ever considered that you can stop for just 10 minutes in your day just to read and to pray and to center your heart and your mind on Christ? Because in doing that, you're teaching your soul a new rhythm of life. Instead of busy, 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 it's stop and rest and nestle. Have you ever practiced uh, silence before? 
don't set a timer because you set a timer for a minute. You're like, it was just a minute? Like, I felt like I was silent for like a lifetime. But have you ever thought about even for five minutes in your day, being silent, shutting everything out, opening your mind and your heart and your soul to the divine? The act of practicing and of receiving grace from others when you've wronged them. Giving grace is a spiritual discipline. Have you ever thought about fasting? This week I challenge you, take, take one lunch off and use your time at lunch to center your heart and your mind. These are opportunities daily we have to learn from Christ this new way. And the last thing I want us to see from this, because so much of this can be so egocentric, so self-centric, I want you to stop and look around you. What do you see? What I see is that wayfinding is not a solo journey with Jesus. Wayfinding is a journey with the church. The church community gives individuals years of experience of others who have followed Christ. The church community gives us a space to wrestle with difficult questions and journey together with others as we try to figure this thing out together. The church community gives us creative avenues to live out our passions and our giftedness and our strengths given to us by God to better the kingdom of God and to become our more true self. The church community is about journeying together. It's about wayfinding together. Because we discover together what God has in store for us, together and individually. I think that's where we need to leave this today. That wayfinding, discovering this new way is something we do together. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.